The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Squawk Box. Chinese stocks rebound after Wall Street slides with the Hang Seng leading the charge as new COVID cases apparently decline for the first time in over a week ahead of a state council press conference on the disease. Crude prices rebound in spite of more hawkishness from the Fed's Jim Bullard ahead of a key meeting of oil producers later this week with a major policy adjustment reportedly on the table. Block 5 files for bankruptcy, leaving at least 100,000 creditors on the hook as the crypto lender becomes the latest company to fold in the wake of FTX's dramatic collapse. And Elon Musk takes a bite out of Apple, accusing the Cupertino giant of halting its advertising on Twitter and threatening to remove the platform from its app store. Stock states are closing more than 1% lower across the board in reaction to concerns around the protests in China that were unfolding over the weekend around COVID restrictions. Many just uh, stepping back are concerned that this could provoke further market volatility. And don't forget, China has been part of the mix of those uh, different fears that investors have built up into the market action this year. So just stepping back was the approach, of course, of the Fed, another component. We had a number of speakers out yesterday warning that there's still a lot of territory ahead in terms of those rate increases, all the work that is required to be done to tackle pricing pressures. So we certainly saw investors uh, take a somewhat cautious approach. It was John Williams saying there's more work to be done. The St. Louis Fed President uh, James Bullard, who's seen as more of a hawk, also discussing elevated rates. And uh, Thomas Barkin, too, uh, speculating about uh, just when the U.S. would actually reverse course. So we've got Jay Powell coming out on Wednesday. Markets, of course, will be closely watching that. And the data on the jobs front later in the week. So big factors to watch out for. Apple, one of the big moving stocks to the downside. That was a direct link to the protests in China and what that could do to production output for the iPhones and uh, consumption stocks are in play too as you take a look at Home Depot, one of the big movers to the downside for the Dow. But uh, the Chinese markets today, let's take a look at the difference in the view that we're seeing across the board. The uh, response is what investors are looking for. There is a, a press conference slated for uh, uh, just about an hour's time and the market's closely watching that for any signals around a change in policy, given the protesters have been calling for that. But uh, of course, China is a different beast, isn't it? And so the market will uh, closely watch the detail. But Hong Kong stocks popping, you can see across on the Chinese uh, stock market, the Shanghai Composite, we've rallied 2%. So reopening theme being picked up on developer stocks as well. Take a look at some of those big technology names that have also bounced back in trade. Alibaba, 6.6%, I say technology names, but some of these are also consumption plays. JD.com, more than 8.5% higher, Tencent, 
4-plus percent in the green and Maituan rallying hard, almost uh, 10% as you take a look at those levels. The Chinese property market, we've seen some measures here and this is to support the developers. Don't forget it's been a very difficult time as we talk about uh, some of the mortgages not being repaid, uh, the boycott that's been taking place. But uh, these companies now have seen the regulator lift a ban on equity refinancing for these listed property groups. So we've got a bounce of very high single digits, even double on UK property, up 10%. 6% on Country Garden. So across the board, the property sector very much being chased at this hour. Let's take a look at the oil price. We have seen some concerns back in the price. And of course, the China story knocked the uh, crude and WTI price yesterday. But we've got a bounce back again taking place here. 1.6 up on WTI. Brent uh, just shy of that 85 handle as it also climbs almost 1.9%, Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much indeed uh, for that, Karen. And you will have noticed uh, we're missing one this morning, aren't we? We're just out with just two. Just two, two for now. this morning. Steve is the actually, must Steve is actually in the building, but I think he's having his <laughs> breakfast. He's, he's off to uh, Goldman Sachs a little bit later on. We took his microphone off. We've now. got a slew of guests uh, coming from their Carbonomics event, so that's a treat for, for later on in the programme when he gets over to Goldman Sachs and we hear from some of those guests. Uh, let's talk about the headline story then. China has reported the number of new COVID cases has fallen for the first time in more than a week. It comes after unrest amid the country's ongoing zero COVID policy. Shanghai and Beijing reported a rise in new cases, but two of the country's hardest hit regions, Guangdong and Chongqing, saw a decline. The Chinese State Council is expected to hold a press conference on COVID measures in less than an hour's time. Let's get out to Sam for more on this story. And Sam, is it, is it anticipation that we're going to get an easing in some of these COVID restrictions yet again that is driving these uh, Chinese markets higher or is there another reason? Good morning to you, Jeff and Karen. Well, there's a couple of reasons, uh, some of which are Karen, of course, just mentioned with some support, certainly for the property sector as well. But this largely seems to be a combination of that, but with, of course, this anticipation for what is coming in the next hour or so from the State Council in terms of what they may say about zero COVID, because it's interesting what a difference a week makes. Of course, they did make that announcement last Tuesday that they would be tightening restrictions, that cases were climbing to record highs each day. But as you mentioned, uh, we are now coming off those record highs. And we've also seen that unrest over the weekend. And so that has led to a lot of investor uh, expectations in the market that, of course, uh, perhaps now we are looking past the protests, that uh, perhaps this is not as politically sustainable as once thought. And maybe that some of these demonstrations and these calls uh, from the people in China across these cities uh, perhaps may prompt some concessions from the authorities. And so uh, There is some rumour in the market that perhaps we could see some easing steps. I don't think it's very realistic to assume that we're going to see a complete shift in zero COVID because, of course, uh, that has too much political capital, as we've been speaking about in recent days, attached to it. Uh, But we've certainly seen little signs in the market, I should say, in China, uh, of these sorts of baby steps that they've been taking. Out of Beijing, for example, this morning, we saw that supermarkets cannot 
cannot close for more than 72 hours, 24 hours actually in principle. Down in Guangzhou, meantime, we've also seen this sort of rule about non-mandatory testing and people working from home not having to do that either. So what we are seeing is these sort of surgical steps to try to loosen and really stick to this uh, promise that they would be sort of easing and relaxing and tweaking some measures as part of this reopening plan. So what economists are certainly suggesting to us is that this is what we're going to see now uh, heading towards the National People's Congress in March and throughout the winter, which of course they are worried about uh, these sort of little incremental steps as a part of a face-saving exercise, given that there's so much, as I said, political capital attached to zero COVID, but also given that they had said that they would try to ease some of these restrictions. Jeff and Karen. Terrific. Sam, thank you very much indeed for that. Well, let's talk a a little bit more about the action on the ground in China. There was a heavy police presence in Beijing on Monday as authorities clamped down on any fresh protests. Officers gathered near a bridge in the northern part of the city where last month a protester called on Xi Jinping to be deposed. Meanwhile, in Shanghai, police were reportedly checking phones for VPNs and foreign apps like Instagram, Twitter and Telegram. Shanghai's uh, Disneyland theme park suspended uh, operations or will suspend operations from today as it looks to comply with local COVID prevention measures. It's the third time this year that the theme park will have to close down amid COVID curbs. Duncan Wrigley has joined us, Chief China Economist at Pantheon Economics. Duncan, good morning. Nice to see you this morning. Um, Let's just talk about what we might hear from the State Council then. We're expecting this briefing in about an hour's time, less than an hour's time now. What do you think we will hear from them? Any significant pivot away from COVID zero? Well, I don't think there will be a full-scale pivot away from COVID zero anytime soon. China's simply not ready for that. If you look at the level of vaccinations, especially amongst the elderly, you know, the intensive care capacity, uh, the, the drug stockpiles, all of the kind of public health stuff isn't ready. And the narrative, the official narrative has only just started to change. So I think what we will see from the briefing is two things. One is we'll start to see this narrative start to change. Uh, the, the public health officials will start to emphasise that the current strains of, of COVID, although they are very, very transmissible, uh, the severity of diseases tends to be much lower. So that's starting to prepare the population for easing. The second thing I think we'll see is the, uh, the central government, in effect, telling local governments that they have more discretion to kind of strike this balance, this balance between curving COVID with all the disruption to life and the economy that that entails, but also at the same time trying to limit those interventions and target them. So that was a thrust of the measures that we got at post-Congress, you know, telling things like uh, it shouldn't be secondary contacts that, that get put into isolation. People have been in contact with someone else who's been in contact. Mm. Um, You know, those kind of incremental measures, but also quite a lot of discretion. Discretion that gets left to the local governments in how to figure out how to implement these these measures on a targeted basis. But isn't it that very discretion that has generated some of the anger and the fury 
in different parts of China where some measures have been perceived as being too onerous mm. for example in Xinjiang that the lock the continuous lockdown where there were very few cases actually reported overzealous local officials perhaps <laughs> taking the the letter of the law in the right. covid restrictions too far uh, wouldn't they be wiser to actually eradicate some of the discretion and say this is how it's going to be and this is how you do it Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think if there was some kind of magic recipe, some kind of blueprint that the bureaucrats in Beijing could come up with and say, this is the solution and roll it out, that would be perfect. But the reality is, this is an extremely difficult policy dilemma. Where does that come from? It's because the current strains are so infectious, they're extremely hard to curb with these targeted measures without massively disrupting the economy. And so what is the solution? There isn't an obvious one. And so instead what we're seeing is, from the, the point of view of Beijing, is, is a kind of experimentation. Now that's how China figures out a lot of policy, a lot of reforms. They allow local governments to, to try to figure it out. And then hopefully one region, one locality, perhaps it's Guangzhou, they seem to be doing a bit better right now. Perhaps they'll land on the right combination of policies or tweaks. A lot of it's in the details something that works better than in other places and then that can be that can be the lessons that can be then rolled out in other areas of the country i think that's kind of how china's progressing it's crossing the bridge uh, crossing the river by feeling the stones going back to a deng xiaoping saying as we talk about crossings can we talk about the mm. social contract here mm. because the protests over the weekend showed us to an extent that people are upset that uh, there has been a social cost as well as an economic cost from these COVID restrictions, almost a, a, an impact on the social contract that you allow the state to make so many decisions because they make good decisions for you. So there's been pushback. Where does this leave Xi Jinping? Is there room for a U-turn? Because doesn't it impact this authoritarian view that the state knows best at all times? Well, I, don't, I think the U-turn, as you call it, won't happen in the sense of uh, Xi Jinping staying up, standing up and saying, oh, we were wrong all along. Now we're going to completely shift or we've completely lost control. I mean, that was kind of what happened in some Western countries. That won't happen in China. Um, I think what will happen, will happen in China is a much more gradual and piecemeal process. So the official line will be, we are sticking with zero COVID policy, dynamic clearing policy as we're calling it now, but we're making some adjustments. Those adjustments are in order to uh, avoid the kind of disruptions, allow a better balance. So it, it's kind of more of a middle gray area. I think that will be the official line. Um, but to kind of prepare the way, what needs to happen is a gradual convincing, a persuasion of the general public at large that when these measures happen, and there is indeed a surge of cases, that it can be, it can be managed. Um, you know, I think one of the issues for China right now is the vaccination level amongst the elderly is very low, the over 80s, you know, only 40%. Why is that? Part of it is because of the success in curbing previous outbreaks that leaves people feeling, the vulnerable people feeling safe. Why do I have to risk getting a vaccine that might have some adverse uh, side effects? But, but if, it, in fact, the current measures aren't safe and there are going to be outbreaks, then maybe I do need to get a vaccine. So perhaps, you know, some of these recent outbreaks might start to persuade 
people, some of the vulnerable people, to get vaccines, the, especially the third vaccine, which is um, meant to give them a lot more safety. And so I don't think there'll be a, a, a one-off big change in policy, but more this kind of edging away and gradually tweaking, perhaps on a region-by-region region basis, sequential basis, um, until the population is ready and, and as public health protections come into place. It sounds like a 2021 conversation that we had here in mm. the West, doesn't it? It takes us right back to those days. But if we look at the market reaction, we've got uh, property stocks responding to fresh measures from the regulator. Mm. You've had Apple overnight concerned about uh, what's coming out of factories in China. You've got reopening stocks being bought up on the Asian markets today. Mm. You know, how do we think about this? Because you, you just mentioned it won't be a, a big U-turn. Do you think the markets are moving just too aggressively on some of the news? Well, the markets tend to move a bit ahead of uh, obviously things actually happening. That's how investors make money. You know, you take risks. Um, I do think the moves are arguably a little bit faster, a little more aggressive, and it's justified by what's really happening. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll find out what the state council says very, very soon, one way or another. Um, but I think the direction that the markets are moving, which is indicating greater optimism, towards China is correct. I think they just got a little bit ahead of themselves. I think the reality is that the process will take a while. It will be messy. It will be uneven. There will be you know, two steps forward, one step back, readjustment. Um, but I think we will start to see some meaningful change. Uh, you know, my base case was more after, uh, after the government gets put in place in, in March, National People's Congress next year. Um, but we are starting to see these hints of a fundamental shift in policy mindset already. And I think you know, that is worth something in terms of thinking about where China's economy, China's future, and ultimately the market value lies uh, you know, coming the next year or, and beyond. Duncan, good to see you. Thanks very much for coming in this morning, helping us out with the conversation. Uh, Duncan Wrigley, Chief China Economist at Pantheon Economics. Uh, we've got a trading update coming in from Nestle. Let me just give you the bare bones and some of the headlines. This is a company, obviously, that's um, had a difficult year if you're an investor. You're down about uh, 12% on the year-to-date story so far. Nestle coming out with its updated full year 2022 outlook, now expecting organic sales growth of between eight and eight and a half percent, which quite frankly is stellar in terms of a company in this particular segment of the market. Normally you're looking at somewhere in the three to three to five uh, percent range here. So eight to eight and a half percent, underlying trading operating profit margin expected at around 17% here. Underlying earnings per share in constant currency and capital efficiency are expected to rise. The group says uh, it affirms return to underlying trading operating profit in the margin range of uh, 17 to 18.5% by year-end uh, 2025 and confirming sustainable uh, mid-single-digit organic sales growth expectations. So a quick trading update from Nestle. Yeah, and it all comes down to that volume price mix, doesn't it? We've seen pricing been very high in recent months for a lot of these food companies. Is that going to be the case down the track? And uh, what happens to the volume side, given prices have been more elevated? But coming up on the show, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says the central bank should continue raising rates beyond 2022. We'll discuss more after the break. And for more on the COVID situation in China, check out the Squawk Box podcast. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. The Fed should continue raising interest rates in coming months. So says the St. Louis Fed President James Bullard. He believes the market may be underestimating the chance that the Fed has to get more aggressive next year and tightening may run into 2024, with rates topping 5%. Meanwhile, Cleveland Fed Chief Loretta Mester told the Financial Times the central bank is not close to pausing. The New York Fed president, John Williams, says the Fed needs to keep up its fight against price pressures. I do think we're going to need to keep uh, restrictive policy in place for, for some time. When I think about uh, uh, the, the future path, I do see a point uh, probably in 2024 uh, that we'll start bringing down nominal interest rates because inflation is coming down. ECB President Christine Lagarde says the central bank is not done raising interest rates as inflation continues to spike. Speaking to the European Parliament, uh, it was clear that Lagarde reiterated that there is too much uncertainty for the central bank to pause tightening its monetary policy. We are committed to bringing inflation down to our medium-term target and we are determined to take all the necessary measures to that effect. We expect to raise rates further to the levels needed to ensure that inflation returns to our 2% medium-term target in a timely manner. We've got uh, sterling and euro marching high versus the greenback at this hour, but uh, don't forget we've given up that 120 handle, so it is clawing back some territory, about a third of a percent higher on sterling, four tenths up on euro, and you can see 103.80 is the level. Dollar on the back foot uh, against other currencies too. The Japanese yen, 138.63 currently, down two tenths of a percent. Dollar yuan also fading, but it was a story of dollar strength yesterday as the market reacted to the protests in China. A look at the Treasury market. We've had a lot of hawkish commentary out in the last 24 hours from Fed speakers. Powell, though, will be the headline act as we regroup for Wednesday. And the data, of course, closely watched too on Friday, the jobs report. And uh, the market at this stage, you've got 3.70 on the 10-year. So still quite a distance on that inversion with the two-year at this stage. To uh, what we're seeing on the opening calls in Europe on the back of a weaker day yesterday, we were down about one odd percent on the DAX, seven-tenths on the French market. The uh, FTSE more contained in that mix, but don't forget... Uh, a different mix of stocks. So it was down almost two-tenths of a percent, but markets at this stage, you can see, in the green, uh, chasing some of the upside we're seeing across on those Asian markets. Uh, let's pick up on some of those Fed comments, though. I think it's fascinating. The market has moved a long way, thinking that uh, it's going to be some sort of slower pace, moderating the speed of the increases. Not necessarily a, a pause and definitely not a pivot, mm. but we've seen uh, markets rally somewhat hard from there. If we don't get the language soon from the Fed, I think there's a big question mark around the rally. Uh, it is the time of Panto, isn't it? We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're approaching Christmas here, so, so, so let me just draw a parallel 
between what seems to be going on in the real economy and what the Fed seems to be talking about. And um, I think Cinderella is the appropriate uh, panto for this story because there is a feeling that we are all at the ball waiting for the clock to strike midnight. And if you look at the way the markets are behaving here, they do not believe what these Fed speakers are saying. We've had a 15% rally in the uh, US stock market from the October low. Uh, Deutsche Bank put out a piece yesterday arguing that they think the bear market rally could see us back up to 4,500 next year before recession takes hold. Well, we'll have to wait and see whether recession takes hold here. Goldman Sachs, a couple of days ago, talking about Will it be a recession? Might only be a shallow recession. So there's a lot of wishful thinking among the banking community. And I'll throw in another piece of evidence that we are all at this ball waiting for that bell to chime. And it's the retail spending numbers that we're now seeing come in from the Cyber Monday report. And um, Adobe Analytics uh, pointing out that we may have seen a record online spend of 116 billion dollars 11.6 billion dollars that's a eight and a half percent jump on the previous period if we're supposed to see fed rate hikes drag on economic activity and shift sentiment among the the retail investing public and the consumer and the consumer spend it ain't happening so we are, what, 11.15, 11.45, 10 to, 11, 10 to 12? You tell me, Karen, because at the moment, I don't see anybody worrying too much about these rate hikes. It's funny that you went to uh, the Cinderella story. I thought more Goldilocks, but you could be right in that. The assumption here is there's nothing worse happens than Cinderella losing a shoe. But, uh, you know, the Goldilocks scenario I was seeing was really around the recession mm. prospects. I mean, we had John Williams talking overnight about the unemployment rate likely to rise to 4.5%, by the end of next year somehow we get there and we also don't have a recession recession is not part of his baseline scenario when do we see those sort of increases in the unemployment rate we don't have a recession we also bank ammunition for the next crisis as the uh, fed manages to lift rates even further towards that five percent mark and we hold as well i mean these sort of scenarios it's uh, it's goldilocks it's best case scenario isn't it not, not too hot not too hot too cold, just right. And I do wonder whether the uh, best case scenario has been presented around this downturn. I mean, what uh, statistics show us that we've had a a shallow recession in the past? It is not the usual situation. We normally go much deeper into the hole. And again, that is just not something that many people are talking about. Uh, I think on markets, you've seen a very strong reaction to the upside when we get good news. And again, what's going to happen later on today when we see a reaction perhaps to the protests and any news event that comes out out of China today. What's that reaction going to be like? The one big uh, nugget of information that is still missing that other rallies in recent years have been hanging their hat on has been a Fed pivot. And we just haven't had that yet. So I do wonder whether this rally can be sustained. Yeah, let's um, let's just mention the, the Treasury curve as well, because I think it's important, um, you know, that, uh, that everything leads back to the cost of money, effectively, in the 10 year is what we're pricing off, your risk-free rate, 3.7% here. So let's remember that Bullard is talking about a range that would take us to five 
to 5.25%. That is a heck of a long way in real terms from where we are at the moment. And back to your point about, you know, you, you were talking about uh, Goldilocks here and, and the three bears or, um, you know, other, other sort of nursery rhymes that, that, you know, apparently they start out as nice stories, but they have a very sad ending. Mm -hmm. And uh, it could be the case with this one again here because the market seems to be buying into the idea that we end the year of 2023 somewhere around 3.65 to 4. Well, if Bullard gets his way and some of these other more hawkish Fed speakers at the moment, uh, 5 to 5.25 is going to give us a very different scenario on S&P levels and the direction for the dollar. It won't just be baby bear in tears and Goldilocks fleeing for her life, will it? It could be much worse than that. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.